morning. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 41. Just for a quick word before Pastor Schaller comes up. It's a good day, isn't it? Because we're here. Father, thank you so much uh, for our church, the body of Christ. And we pray your blessing upon these few thoughts to get us started this morning and for the message to come and for the day and the evening. We're just grateful, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise. And we just lift up your precious name and thank you for your spirit here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like God says that to me in trying to convince me. Because sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Um, a couple of thoughts. You know, I think by nature we are what we might call leaners. We, we love to lean on... Something or someone. Uh, it, it, I think it's we, we learned it early in life. For instance, as children, what did we do? We leaned on our parents, right? I mean, when you were very small, you just, you, you, you were clinging to your parents. If you, if, you, know, you would always want them to hold your hand or to pick you up. And then, of course, they get older. When they're teenagers, they don't even want to acknowledge that their parents are their parents. They don't want to be seen in public with them. But when you're young, you're, you lean on your parents. When you go to school, you lean on your teachers. You get a little older, you lean on your peers. Get even a little older, you lean on your education and your career and, and, and you know, what you can provide for yourself. It, it, there's just something about our nature where we love to lean on something. And yet, here is God. Um, if you could, we could say it this way, God is in the business of removing our crutches. Because that's what you do with crutches, right? I mean, I know from experience. You lean on them. You lean on them. And, and we have that in our natures. We always are looking to lean on something or someone except God. And there are all kinds of substitutes that this world offers us and that we can find or discover so that we can lean on them. And yet God says, listen, learn to lean on me. Because I have, in Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven, I have everlasting arms. And they're strong enough to hold you. And they're strong enough to keep you. And, 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 and they get the job done. And we don't have to look for substitutes because whenever we look for substitutes, whenever we find those kinds of crutches in our lives, uh, they might seem to support us, but you know what they will end up doing? Paralyzing our walk of faith. That's what will happen. They'll paralyze our walk of faith. So we, I mean, I'm, I'm not even suggesting that we have to do it, but God will do it for us. He will take out the crutches in our lives. 
until we're at a place where we say, like the psalmist said, whom have I in heaven but thee, O Lord, and there's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. Because you're enough. Just, just this one promise. God says, look, I'm with you. Uh, I, I, I'm, I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. I'll keep you. I'll give you more grace. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll give you all of the promises that I've, uh, that I've made to you in my word. I'll give you even, a, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with having the support of the body of Christ, having people there for you, loving you, caring for you, bearing your burdens, praying for you, edifying you. That's great. But God forbid that we would ever, like, lean entirely upon them. I remember when I was being discipled. I was a young, just got saved, and, and God bless him, Pastor Bill Cannon. He wasn't a pastor at the time, but he was discipling me. I mean, he was just always there. Once he knew that I was, you know, I accepted Christ, he was all, I'd come out of my house in the morning, he'd be, he'd be there, parked his car, waving like, let's go. We're going to the Bible study. I mean, I, there was like no other options. He was there for me. And that first year after I came to know the Lord, I mean, you know, it was amazing. Thank God for his discipleship in my life. And then he announced one day, he came and he said, I have to tell you, Seth, I'm going to Bible college. And immediately I said, no. I said, no, you can't. And I said, what about me? <laughs> And he said, no, God will take care of you. And I think I remember saying, no, he won't. That's your job. You have to do that for me. You're the guy who's been investing in me, loving me, discipling me. I've been leaning on you. And, and, and he said, well, I'm going to Bible college. And then guess what God taught me? God taught me how to lean on him. And it worked. And then... There were others that were brought into my life that I began to disciple. And guess what I announced to them one day? I'm going to Bible college. <laughs> it's, it's just something in our natures that, that longs to lean. And God says, good, that just learn to lean on me. You know, in closing, just last night, went up for a preseason game in New York with the Knicks. And, and you know, usually we just have a couple of guys, but the, the chapel was packed last night. And, and you know why? Because they're all rookies and they're all looking for a job and they're all in there asking Jesus to give them a job. <laughs> and I, and I, and I kind of shared these thoughts with them. I said, guys, you, you know, you've got to trust God. I said, you know, the proverb, Proverbs three, five and say, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust this team. Don't trust this organization. Don't trust that job that you're looking for. Trust God. Learn to lean on him. I said, because, because you might get the job, you might get a, a roster spot, but you might not, but it doesn't matter. You're trusting God, and he's going to make sure that he carries you. Learn to lean on him. Um, he'll, he'll hold you. He'll never let you go. He'll keep you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Great words. Huh? Jesus is coming. Yes, we're waiting. Bridegroom. Are those words kind of like in our, in our uh, religion, 
when we talk about being the bride of Christ, does that how does how does that hit you? You know, for me it was kind of strange to be honest, like I didn't understand it. We are his bride. We are going to um we're going to meet him in the air and be joined to him. We are made in God's image. Christ is the bridegroom, and he came to save us and and to make us his bride. Wow. That's like Genesis 24, when Abraham sent a servant to his home area where he came from. He never returned, but he sent a servant there to find a relative who could marry his son Isaac. And when the servant said, if I go and I find, I don't find uh, somebody related to your family, then do I just take another woman? And Abraham said, no, you can't take another woman. No, that that's not going to work. No. So what's the meaning of this? That Christ came to take a bride, but he can't take anybody. He cannot just take anybody here in the world, any group of people, any nation, any clan, any group of people, any religion. He cannot take just anybody. Who does he take? Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, this soldier, Roman soldier, had to make sure he was dead. So how did he do it? How did he do it? They, they would break the bones and the legs um, so that you, you couldn't push up. You would breathe by pushing up to, to breathe like this. But if you broke the legs, they would suffocate. But the proverb, the uh, psalm, the prophet said none of his bones would be broken. So how did, how did the Roman soldier have the assurance he was dead? You put a spear up through uh, to uh, up into his cavity, chest cavity, and out came blood and water. Where did the bride of Christ come from? When Adam was was made by God, he made Adam first, and then what, what he he went around giving names to the animals. Did he find a wife? That chimpanzee is very attractive. (laughs) Did he find a wife? He didn't. God put him to sleep. And out of what? Out of his side came his wife. This is Ephesians chapter 5. That the marriage is a picture, but marriage is momentary. How many, how many minutes, years, hours, a lifetime, 70 years, you know, max, probably, something like that. Not, not eternal. When you go to heaven, you're not married to your wife, your present wife, 
or to anybody, any human being, you are married to Christ. There is no marriage in heaven. Therefore, the marriage that is here on earth is only for this lifetime. Yes, you will see your wife in heaven. Yes, you will be in the same body of Christ. Yes, you will have fellowship. Yes, you will love her. So don't get upset about it. I want to be married to her forever. It's like, yes, you are with her forever as believers. But this marriage in this lifetime is a mystery, and it reveals another mystery, and that is that Christ came and wants a relationship with somebody like him. If somebody like him, right? That's us. Well, we aren't like Jesus because we are sinners. That's what he did. He took our sin, died, was raised from the dead, Now, by believing in him, we are born of him, born of the seed of the word of God, 1 Peter 1.23. We are regenerated, Titus 3.5, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You could even say that we are born of the blood, that's salvation, and the water is the cleansing or the sanctification of the believer being born again not of corruptible seed and all the seed in this world we have an acorn tree at our house I don't know why the acorns are raining cats and dogs I mean they are coming down there are hundreds and hundreds of acorns and all that seed is corruptible but this seed is incorruptible. We've been born of God, born again, born of the Spirit. Why? We are a bride. Well, when you say bride, you think of one person. And in this sense, we are many members, but we are members of his body. We are one bride. We are one group. We are a holy nation, a peculiar people. And we are joined unto him. Now, when a man and woman are together, they are one. It says in Genesis 5, and their name was Adam. Their name, plural pronoun, their name was Adam, singular name. One name. And and so we have a name also. What is our name? What is our name? Imagine. The wife has what? The name of the husband. What is our name? Christ. We are of him. We are from him. We have been joined unto him. Now we are on the earth and we have this interesting period where we still have a sin nature. We still have death. We still have the life as a human being. But we taste the kingdom. We experience the reality of his headship. When he speaks to us, it edifies us. Remember when he washed the feet, Peter said, 
uh, no, not my feet. And Jesus said, um, there's two words in the Greek language, and I, I do not remember the first one. I can't spell it out. But the second one is, when you, you are washed, this is one word, nipto, and it means when he washed him with the water, this is he washed his feet with water, it speaks of your walk, your daily walk, your weekly walk, your walk with God. We need water. Where's the, what's the water mean? The water is the word. We read that in Ephesians 5, but it also is the Holy Spirit. We are um, filled with the Spirit, and out of our belly flows a river of living water. We are born of the Spirit. So we are washed in a practical way. But then he said here, again, I'm sorry, I don't remember the Greek word, but it's like bathed. When you're bathed, like it's different from like washing somebody's feet with their hands. Like, I'm not bathing you, I'm just washing your feet. But but you have been bathed. You have been washed with the blood of Christ. You are saved. So when you are bathed, that's like one phase of your new life, and then nipto or the washing of the water, and when Peter said, you know, I don't need it, Jesus said, if you don't have it, then I don't have anything to do with you. Meaning, you will not be experiencing me. You will not be walking in sanctification. You won't have the reality of the new life. Yeah, but so, so you not only need to be saved, but I want to wash your feet. And of course, we could say to God, Every day, I need, I need to be washed again. Wash my feet, Lord. And he does. But we better look at it because um, it's, it's not as... It's uh, John 13. It wasn't my message, but the song changed my message, I guess. Verse 6, John 13. Then come he to Simon Peter. Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I do you know is not now, but you will know hereafter. Peter said unto him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But Jesus said to him, He that is washed needs, needs not save to wash his feet. So here's the one word washed. This is the bathed. That he that is washed does not need like to be washed again, but is clean every whit, and you are clean but not all. Meaning Judas Iscariot is not saved. He is not washed. If you you read this through a few times, if you have a hard time following me, but you can this you can understand it. So it goes this way: you are saved, you are washed, 
you are saved. Every part of you, your head, your hands, every part of you, you are clean. You are saved. Every part of you. Now, I walk through the world and I get dirt on my feet. I'm not unsaved. I'm not unsaved. If I live in the world, I'm not unsaved. I'm saved. I just need, I need the water of the word. I need, I need Jesus to serve me and wash my feet so I can live in victory and walk as a Christian in the world. Okay, so that's, turn now to Ephesians 5, please. And verse 25, husbands, love your wives. even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I'm sure we could stop there and say a lot of things about that. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now watch. Jesus is on the cross, and he's loving the church. Who is the church? The ones he came into the world to save them because they become his wife. They become his bride. So how is he loving the church? He's hanging on a cross, forgiving them of their sin, atoning for their sin. How is he loving them? He is washing their feet. He's washing the feet of the disciples. How does he love his bride? By this, he is way, he is in an incredible place of sacrifice. And to be honest, in our relationships, in our earthly marriages, this is a uh, great uh, challenge to us as husbands. You mean I am to love my wife like that? Like that? There's no way. I would love my wife like that when she isn't even noticing me. Like we were not at the cross noticing what Jesus did. We have forsaken him. Well, we weren't even born then. We weren't there. But the fact is that if we were, we wouldn't be there. But it was sacrificial before the Father. He was loving and serving to have a bride that would be loved with unconditional love and service like this. So that's for us husbands. We're always challenged by that. Now, notice another thing about marriage here. Have you ever heard of a marriage which is like 50%, 50%? How did it work out? (laughs) Yeah, my first marriage, we tried that. It didn't work out. um, um, I don't, I'm sorry about that. I'm just joking around, but not funny, not funny. Um, You know, I'll do my portion, you do your portion. You do your portion, I'll do my portion. This is not how Jesus died. 
It's not how Jesus loved the church. He loved the church like just this way, 100%, regardless of their response. Isn't that amazing? Regardless, he just loved us. He just loved us. He gave himself for us. How can a husband love his wife like that? Right? And that's like, wow. Okay, let's go to the text there one more. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I think women will recognize that love and they are drawn to it. I mean, our wives. I I believe our wives appreciate that spirit of service and love. It's not guaranteed. We don't know, but that's the way to live. That we would love as Christ loved the church. Then verse um, 26. Here's the last part. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. No, think of Peter and his feet being washed. First, he is saved by the washing of the blood that saves him, justifies him. And then comes the washing of water by the word. So there you have the connection between the word and washing of the feet or washing of water by the word. Okay, so this is what we're doing this morning. We are assembling and listening to the word that is washing us and preparing us as a bride. Word prepares us to be the bride. Now, everyone knows that when a woman is going to get married, she has this preparation. Uh, She prepares herself for it. Um, uh, Remember in the story of Esther, wasn't it like six months of preparation, bathing, you know, oils, ointments, uh, perfumes, preparation. Women, women in our day, there are the, the dressing, the dresses, the hair, all the preparation, whatever they are, you, you know about it, you know what I mean. So what about us? If we are the cosmo, we are the, I was going to say cosmic, we are the spiritual bride. And he's going to present, a, we're going to be coming God the Father will give us to his Son. We are the bride given to the Son. And the Father made this possible because he led his Son to the cross. Even when the Son said, there's any way out, let me out. If there's any way out of this, let me out of it. And the Father did not. And he obeyed the Father He bought us, and now, in this era, this period, he is preparing us. Look at chapter 5 and verse uh, 27. That he might present it 
the church to himself, a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle. Now, yesterday, Jesse Fires got married to Kaylee. We're so happy for them. Yeah. Do you think that Kaylee had a spot, spaghetti stain on her dress? Did she have a spot or wrinkle or any such thing? And when we are raptured and meet Christ in the air, there is no spot or wrinkle with us that God has done his work in sanctifying us and presenting us to Christ. But it it says, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So that will happen. Right now we are learning. We are learning. We are being sanctified. We are being led. But we still have our sin nature. But simultaneously, our mind is renewed, meaning one, one without the other, but I mean in the time frame of life. We have a renewed mind to comprehend, changed mind, to prove what is the acceptable, perfect will of God. What, a, what an honor that is. So, so ought men to have love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 28. So you have... Would a man put his hand in the garage, put his hand on the table, take a hammer and hit his hand? <laughs> yes, accidentally. <laughs> but would he do it on purpose? No. But why would we hurt our wife? Why would we shame her? Why would we ridicule her? Why would we tear her down? Why would we make fun of her? Why would we make fun of her in public? Why would we gossip about her behind her back to our friends? Why would any of us do that? It's the same as taking your hand and hitting, hitting it with a hammer. You're hurting yourself, right? But we are joined to our wives and our husbands and for the sake of uh, manifesting love, forgiveness, patience, care. So verse 28, So odd men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. The Lord loves us. The Lord nourishes and cherishes us. He, would the Lord take a hammer to himself and hit his own hand? Would he hurt himself? No. He would, he, he serves us. He loves us. He doesn't stop. He washes us. He doesn't stop because we are his bride. We are loved by him. Okay. Now, uh, let's finish. Um, this was my message. I'm going to give you just a brief brief word. It's Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two evils. One, they have hewn out broken cisterns. We preached on this before. 
they have hewn out broken cistern. It's a metaphor. In the Middle East, when they, they don't have a lot of water, so they have they have runoff water that goes into big um, tanks that are hewn out of the rock. Big tanks that um, can be half the size of this room. I think I saw one. Half the size of this room, just in the depth is like this too. But fill, fill it with water, and these are cisterns. The runoff water, and however the water would get in there from wherever they, they would, uh, but the cistern would be, have a fissure in it or br- broken, so the water would not collect without it leaking down to lower ground level. So they would make a mistake by having this, and then they would forsake the fountain of the water or the source, forsake the source of the water. My people have done this. It's a way of saying they have forsaken God. They have forsaken God. Uh, So they struggle, they suffer, because they don't have God. And in their imagination, they come up with different ideas. And I had uh, three or four of them in my mind today. One was the prodigal son. When he said, give me my inheritance, I'm going to go away. I'm going away. Give me my inheritance, I'm going to go away. And in his mind, he had this idea. I will go away. I will make more money. I will will have new friends. I'm going to get away from here. But it didn't work. It didn't turn out. Another one is Daniel 5. They drank that's in the, that's a message in itself. They drank the whole, from the holy vessels at a party. This was at a Persian party, party time. But that night there was handwriting on the wall. It's over. Party is over. How many times young people go to parties and it turns into a disaster of some kind? Third one was a. A sexual sin, Second Samuel 13, one of David's sons raped his stepsister, and it said he, he had loved her, and then it says he hated her. You, he has in, in, his, in his mind, he can take this woman, and uh, he has this lust. And he takes the woman, and after, immediately after, he hates her and throws her out of the house and locks the door. You know, if, you, if, if we can imagine what people do in looking for pleasure and happiness, every one of these examples, First Kings 21 is the last one. This is the king Ahab wanted to garden a vineyard and his wife Jezebel said ah we'll get that that's no problem we'll just kill the owner and you go down take it so they did that they murdered the owner and Ahab went down but as he went down he met Elijah and Elijah told him this is what God says and he told him that that um the dogs will eat your blood, uh, your children will be destroyed, your wife. Also, the dogs will eat her body out in the open field. 
and this is what's going to happen to you. And, and it seems like every little party or every little effort that, that on the dark side of our nature uh, in, these, in, in these stories, you find uh, the problem is that we have forsaken we, we have forsaken the Lord and we make our own cistern. It cannot hold water. We have forsaken God. And this is why we have this trouble. The good news, the last part is, the good news is that uh, God at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And turn with me to Isaiah 55. Verse 1, and we'll read that. And this goes along with what Pastor Love said. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. You have to guard yourself from your own imagination. You can do your own imagination. This was the problem with those stories that I just, I just shared with you. My own imagination can take me down to like, to, to these dark things that, that just happens. My own, my own heart, my own way, my own ideas. And it says here, if you are thirsty, come to the waters. Come to the waters. What waters? It's the Lord. The Lord. And he that has no money, come buy. But you don't buy with money, you buy with your heart. You buy it, you, you take it, you just say, with my heart, Lord, here I am. I need water, I am thirsty. And the Lord says, come. Without money, buy and eat, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? In your labor for that which satisfies not. Every one of these stories here, the, the one, these that I told you briefly, every one of those, they're buying something, but it turns to poison. Every one of them. It's rotten. It's, it's sin. It's, it's pain. Every one of them. The prodigal son, the king Belshazzar, the son of David, Ammon, who was murdered for it, by the way, and then Ahab and Jezebel. Every one of them. So what, what, to be built up, to be edified spiritually, to be washed, and to be, to be in our heart righteous, and wise and loving and deal with those things that come to our minds and our hearts and we say no that's not going to work 
That's not going to work. That's not where I'm living. I don't do that. I, I'm not doing that. I'm not involved with that. I don't accept it. But I'm, I'm going to find real satisfaction from God. Hearken diligently unto me, and ye eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are in a world of temptation and we see a lot of trouble and pain from the Middle East with the pride of man's heart, Obadiah 1.3, to our communities, our country, and yes, our own hearts. But we come to you to trust you with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you and you will direct our path. In Jesus' name. Anyone here, you, you have not yet started your, your spiritual life by putting your trust in Christ and being born of God, born of the Spirit, and this is a invitation for you to come as you are to put your trust in him do it today say Lord Jesus I put my trust in you and then Lord to us believers thank you for keeping us you you, you that keep Israel will not slumber or sleep and you will keep us and lead us in the way we should go. In Christ's name, amen.